Reading now from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten men with skin diseases approached him. Keeping their distance from him, they raised their voices and said, Jesus, Master, show us mercy. When Jesus saw them, he said, Go, show yourself to, your, to the priest. As they left, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw that he had been healed, returned and praised God with a loud voice. He fell on his face at Jesus' feet and thanked him. He was a Samaritan. Jesus replied, Weren't ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? No one returned to praise God except this foreigner? Then Jesus said to him, Get up and go. Your faith has healed you. You may have come expecting to hear Jenny preach. You may have come because you expected Jenny to preach. You may be regretting the moment you got out of bed this morning. But here I am preaching again, and I owe Jenny a word of thanks. Because Monday evening I was reading this passage, I was looking over the lectionary passages for this Sunday, last Monday evening, and I came across this passage and I came to the last half of the last verse in this passage, and I thought to myself, I want to preach on that. And God bless Jenny, she's letting me. I want to preach on this part. Your faith has healed you. I want to preach on that because if you go home and you take out different translations of the Bible and you look at it, in most places you will find something like that. Either your faith has healed you or your faith has made you well. And the idea is that the leper... The, the person with the skin disease, what they called leprosy, we would have to just call a skin diseases in general. And the understanding is that that person has been healed. But you notice it wasn't just the one leper who turned back who was healed. They were all made clean. So what's happening with this leper who came back? I don't think healed is the best way to translate this passage. And it can be translated just as easily your faith has saved you. In the Greek, the word for healed or made well and the word for saved, they are the same word, sozo. And Jesus says, your faith has sozo. We see it as your faith has made you well. I think it's just as possible that Jesus is saying, your faith has saved you. I and some other commentators think that that's really the best translation here. And I want to talk about this verse in that context because we have tend to have an impoverished understanding of what salvation is. We tend to see it as the going off to heaven after we die. I think that's what, what our culture at large thinks Christianity is all about, finding a way to heaven after you die. But that's misguided. That's an impoverished understanding of salvation. 
there is not less to salvation, there is more. Your faith has healed you can be accurately translated, your faith has saved you. The need for a deeper understanding of what salvation means can be found right here in verse 19. If salvation includes aspects of healing, then simply going off to heaven when you die is not an adequate way of understanding salvation. There's, there's more to it than that. There's a lot more to it than that. And this richer understanding of salvation is found throughout both the Old and the New Testaments. We just kind of tend to push it aside. Our image is so strong that even when confronted with the evidence of the text, we have a hard time realizing it. I remember a little boy, we were doing a Wednesday after, after school evening, kind of Sunday school kind of thing, and I was, we were getting ready for Easter, and I was explaining to them, and it was exciting because they had not heard, they had not heard the story of Easter before. So I get to tell them this the first time. And I, we, ta we had talked about how Jesus suffered on the cross and he died, and I said, and do you know what happened to him after that? And they said, he went to heaven. And I thought, well, that's right. You know, it's 40 days. You know, Jesus comes. He's with the disciples for 40 days, and then he ascends into heaven. I said, yes, that's right. But you know what happened between those two points? He rose from the dead. He came back to life. And the little boy said, no, he went to heaven. And I said, I'm fairly certain of this. The Bible says that he rose from the dead. No, he went to heaven. It, we went several rounds. As far as I know, the kid was just humoring me in the end when he appeared to come around to seeing it my way. It was so ingrained to him that when people die, they go into heaven. He had a hard time hearing that there was more to it than that. And so I'm going to be repeating myself in some places today, but I'm trying to bring together a fuller view of salvation a fuller view of what it means to be saved. And so I have 10 aspects of our salvation that I want to talk to you about. The first of those aspects is the way we commonly think about. How many of you, when you think about salvation, when you think about how Jesus saved you, how many of you think about the fact that Jesus died for my sins? That's an okay answer, by the way. Don't be ashamed. That's an okay answer, all right? That is part of the biblical view. That's called the judicial aspect of salvation, the fact that we had, we had fallen into sin, we stood condemned, Christ came and took sin and death, our sin and death upon himself, dying for us that we might be forgiven and have salvation. That is a biblical view of salvation. That is the dominant view in Western Christianity, the way that we look at it the most is that way of we are being forgiven. We are, our, our sins are forgiven, and now we can have this relationship with God. But that's just one aspect of, of what salvation looks like. That's just one of the things I want to talk about today. The second major aspect of salvation gets to this passage from Luke, and it's the therapeutic aspect of salvation. Do you remember the old hymn, There is a Balm in Gilead to Heal the Sin-Sick Soul? Have you sang that? 
I'm not a big fan of that hymn, so we don't sing it very often. But there is that one excellent line in there. There is a balm in Gilead to heal the sin-sick soul. If you go over to the Greek Orthodox Church, the church in the East, their focus on salvation has been less about being forgiven and more about being healed. We see our sins as guilt that needs to be forgiven. They've tended to see sin as an illness that needs to be treated. Now, both of those views are present in the Bible. It's just hard to hold on to more than one thing at a time. But I'm going to argue that that's exactly what we should do. We should realize that there is a lot going on in the process of God saving us. The next next aspect of salvation is resurrected bodies, not immortal souls. You don't have an immortal soul. You think you do, but you don't. The idea of an immortal soul comes not from the Bible. It comes from the idea, it comes from some ideas in Greek philosophy, from Plato, that we have a part of us that just goes on forever. The Bible doesn't see us that way. The Bible sees us as created beings. We have souls. It's the Bible's way of referring to the totality of who we are. Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, strength, and soul. But they're not immortal. We don't continue throughout eternity under our own steam. We continue throughout eternity in a resurrected body that God has given us. Paul says that we see in a mirror dimly, but that when we, when we see Jesus, we will be like he is. And you read the gospel accounts of Jesus after the resurrection. He appears, he eats with the disciples, he drinks with the disciples. He also has the ability to walk into rooms that are locked. He, he shows up in different places all the time. He kind of appears and then he isn't there. And what the Bible is trying to explain is that Jesus is the first instance of imperishable physicality. He's the first person we know of to have a body that is both physical and imperishable. Everything we know physically fades away, but the resurrected body we will be given does not. It's extremely hard to understand, but the important thing to remember is that that everlasting life is a continuous gift of God. It's not built into how we, we are right now. It's a gift that we are waiting for. The next thing, the next aspect of our salvation is continuity. We will be ourselves. We are getting new bodies, but we will be ourselves. I believe we will be recognizable to one another. We will be recognizable to one another. And that's because I've used this before. But basically, when we die, we do go to be with God. And since the realm where God is most fully is known biblically as heaven, it makes sense to say we go to heaven. We go to be with God. But that's the first step of a two-step process. The first step is to be with God after death. The second step, life after death is being with God in heaven. Life after life after death, which is what the Bible focuses on, is being in a resurrected body with God in a new heaven and a new earth. You've heard the 
I'll use it again, but I know I've shared this with you, the example of when we die, God runs our software on God's hardware until such a time as God can give us new hardware on which to run our software. If that disturbed you, ignore it. If that didn't make any sense, ignore it. But for some of you, for some of you, that made sense. It's an analogy that's only become available in this century. And salvation is everlasting life in the direct presence of God. And we will not be bored. We will be with God. Have you had those moments where you can feel God's presence? Where you just feel that peace? Do you remember how wonderful that is? Well, everlasting life in the direct presence of God means you have that feeling only more so and it's continuous. It's all the time. There are those moments when we experience God's presence. In the life to come, we will experience God's presence more directly than we ever have here on earth. Next aspect of salvation is holiness. God will have a holy people. We will be holy. We will be righteous. This is not, this is not nitpicking on God's part. God gave us this good creation and we were not holy and look what we've done to the place. If we are not to mess up the new heaven, the new earth that are to come, we must be God's holy people, and God will have us as holy. God will make us holy and righteous. It will be a change, not just in how we are seen, but in who we are. The seventh aspect of salvation is a restored relationship with God. And not just restored in the sense that you're forgiven and you can, God's not condemning you, but a closeness to God. We were made to be in relationship with God. We were created for relationship with God. And God's going to have that relationship with us. We'll love God with all our hearts, mind, soul, and strength. It'll just be who we are. And it'll be God at work in us all the time. The power and the love of God flowing through us constantly. We'll also have restored relationships with one another. There are people in my life that I'm not real happy with right now. There are people who, if they said that, they'd be talking about me. They're not real happy with me. But being loving God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength means also that we love our neighbor as ourself. In the life to come, we will have restored relationships not only with God, but with one another. Maybe you look forward to that. Maybe you kind of dread that. But it's either way, it's still going to be. And salvation is cosmic in scope. So often we look at it as simply a fly away to heaven when we die kind of thing. We're going to abandon this world. It doesn't really matter. But the biblical view is of a new heaven and a new earth, of all things being made new, and of God dwelling in the world in all of God's fullness, of earth becoming like heaven and God being there. And when that happens, it won't just be us who are saved. It will be all of creation, the entire cosmos. That's a big idea, but God is God likes God's creation. God is going to save it all. We are not saved from it. It is saved along with us. And as it is saved, 
We rule over it. We were created in the image of God and God intended to rule the world through us. The love of God was meant to flow through us, made in God's image, out into the world. And the world's praise and thanksgiving were made to flow back through us and to God. That's what being made in God's image is about. It's not ruling the world as tyrants that can do whatever we want. It's more like being faithful steward, uh, stewards of God's new creation. The way which God relates to the rest of creation is through us. And so that love of God flowing through us isn't just for our sake. It's for the sake of the entire cosmos. And that's what it means to rule with Christ. We don't think of it that way, but the Bible sure does. Now all that, maybe there were some parts of that that you weren't real fond of. Maybe there were some parts of that you're still trying to wrap your head around. But all of that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? And the best thing about it is we don't have to wait. The best thing about it is that it begins here and now. John Wesley, in a sermon titled The Scripture Way of Salvation, he asked the question, what is salvation? And once he had asked that question, he answered it like this. He said, the salvation which is here spoken of is not what is frequently understood by the word, the going to heaven, eternal happiness. It is not a blessing which lies on the other side of death. It is a present thing. Now, Wesley was quite certain that there was life after death. Wesley believed in the resurrection and the new creation. But what he wanted to emphasize to the Methodists at this point is you're not just a people waiting and hoping for that time to come. You are a people filled with the grace of God who can experience God's salvation now. It begins now. Wesley goes on and continues, he says, salvation is a present thing. It might be extended to the entire work of God from the first dawning of grace in the soul till it is consummated in glory. Think about that. The very first time when, when you were not yet aware of God and God's love, but God was reaching out to you from that first from that first moment, that first bit of grace with which God reached out to you, all the way until Christ comes again and earth and heaven are made new and we are in glory. All of that is salvation. We're not waiting for it to begin. It has begun already. And all those aspects of salvation that I talked about can be practiced now. Holiness is something we can begin to practice now. The love of God is something we can begin to practice now. The love of neighbor is something we can begin to practice now. The careful stewardship of God's good creation is something we can begin to practice now. You get the idea. We don't wait for our salvation. We experience it. And now is the time to begin. Salvation is so much more than simply waiting until we die to go to heaven. It is wider, it is deeper and higher, and perhaps best of all, it is present now. Get up 
and go. Your faith has saved you. Amen.